0: Yeah, so I took two friends to Utah County that'd never been down there to ski, and I literally made them take a, a blood oath <laughs> <laughs> that they would that they that they agreed that their blood would be spilled if they if they posted <laughs> <laughs> if they posted this the line on Strava. Oh. oh, it's so bad! It's so bad.
1: Hey, everybody, so excited to bring you this episode of the Skin Track podcast. So for today's episode, I sat down with Aaron Smith, one of my best friends and most consistent touring partners. Aaron is uh, like me. He's an attorney here in Salt Lake City, and he is uh, more than me, super active at getting out in the backcountry, whether it's backcountry skiing. He's run multiple hundred mile races, um, rock climbing, mountain biking, etc., Aaron really just has an experience in a plethora of endurance sports and just getting out in the backcountry. Um, so I was super excited to have him on today. A couple things. One, um, sorry, the audio isn't great. I got a mic just barely, but we didn't use it for today. So hopefully going forward, we'll have a little bit better sound. And another thing, if you have any questions, so in part of today's podcast, I responded to a few questions I had got from a listener. Um about different things in the backcountry. So if you have any topics you'd want us to discuss or any questions, send an email to Podcast at gmail.com. I know, super professional. Um, but yeah, send it there and we'll try to address it. Anyway, super excited about today's episode. Aaron is awesome. And I think you'll tell, we're close friends. So it starts out just kind of chit-chatting us talking about you know a recent race I just did last weekend, uh, a few other things that are just going on in our lives right now. Uh, but we moved on to talk about what I hope are even more interesting topics like him skiing a bunch of volcanoes in Ecuador this year, uh, a Temescal ceremony he did down there, not backcountry oriented, but I thought it was super interesting. Um, and then a handful of other topics relevant to backcountry skiing right now, like what Strava's place is in backcountry skiing. If you take anything away from this episode, please take that uh, you should make your maps private in Strava. (laughs) So we're not blowing up the areas we go to and sending tons and tons of people to our favorite spots. Anyway, uh, excited about this episode. Yeah. If you have any feedback or any thoughts, send it into the skin track podcast at gmail.com. Thanks. Hey everybody! Welcome to the Skin Track podcast. Sitting here in my house with good friend, one of my besties, one of my main touring partners, Aaron Smith. You guys, if you have listened to any of these podcasts, have probably heard us mention Aaron a few times. And in the first episode, we crapped on him quite a bit. <laughs> so uh, he's here to defend himself and tell his perspective on some of those stories, and just generally just talk about things. But yeah,
0: thanks for thanks for joining me, Aaron. Well, it's good to be here. You know, <laughs> Scott and I, we have, I, at least I thought we had this alliance, like a lifetime, oh, yeah. lifelong alliance. And he just went and shit up, crapped all over it. Yeah, dude. When you're not around, the alliance dissolves. Exactly. Which <laughs> just like next best thing.
1: <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> yeah. Well, how have you been? Man? I saw uh, you skied Superior yesterday.
0: I did. It's almost yeah. the
1: end of May. Yeah, yeah. South face.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: How was it actually?
0: Yeah, we were walking up there and, you know, we, we I kind of mentioned that there aren't too many people that are still doing this. And my buddy Tyler's like, you, Aaron, you're the only one that's still doing this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm done. Um, and uh, yeah, was really... I, I say I'm done,
1: though, but actually yeah. I did this race last week. And I'm like, well, my legs are sore. I probably shouldn't run for a few more days. So I'm kind of thinking tomorrow I might try to yeah, go no, do something. Tomorrow morning. Do you want to go? It's on. yeah.
0: Okay, let's yeah. do it. Yeah. That'd be fun. Um, just so you know, Chase is coming. Oh, okay. So I hope that hopefully that doesn't you know disappoint you too it's much. It's pre-planned. It's planned already. Where are we going? I don't know yet. Okay. So
1: I would love to do, uh, I have this like goal to do all those lines on the Wasatch backcountry
0: map, right? Okay. Anything that's okay. on there. Yeah.
1: And there's a bunch that are basically inbounds or like resort adjacent that I've never done. You're
0: not going to get chased to do those. Really? Yeah. Like Tuscadora or something. <laughs> what, what are you guys thinking? Oh, I thought you meant like... I don't know, something right like where you climb snowboard and ski it or something like that. but
1: Oh, um, but well, anyway. snowboard's still open, I think. Oh, yeah, wherever, though. But yeah, yeah. But you meant,
0: like in a resort.
1: No, something yeah. like that, like Tuscador, It doesn't have to be like Maine Baldy or something like
0: that, right? Like in Alta, right. but something.
1: No, we'll figure Alta it
0: out. Oh. So, but yeah, glad, yeah. Uh, yeah how, how did that race go? You, you just did a race.
1: Yeah. Uh, I... Was it? Well, I was like the worst I've ever been going into a race. So this was a, a running race, 50K, Bryce Canyon. Last year, I did the 50-miler of Bryce Canyon. And this year, I was kind of like, I think I registered maybe six days ago, or like I registered the Tuesday or something a few days before the race. But Steve, um, my neighbor, friend, uh, adventure buddy, was doing the 50-miler. And I kind of coached him to do the 50-miler. Like I gave him the training plan and stuff. So, I wanted to go down and support him and then... But you didn't want to kick his ass. <laughs> uh, dude, 50 miler. And I've already done the 50 miler. So, I was like, I want to do the 50K.
0: Yeah.
1: The 50K is a bad course. Like,
0: Oh, really? That's too bad. It's
1: got a cool loop where you're going through the Red Rock, Red Canyon down yeah. in Bryce. But then it's an out and back before then. So, you're like... Oh, out the worst. Honestly, 28 miles of out and back. Oh,
0: that's the worst. And it's, Yeah.
1: It's so slow. It's only 5,000-ish vertical feet, the whole thing. But it's a really slow race for some reason because it's, I guess, just really it's really rocky and technical and kind of sandy and it's like, it's like the vert that really makes you slow. There's no long ups or long downs. It's like the quick up, quick down, quick Mm. up, quick down. Mm. And so for some reason, it's a slow race. But um, But yeah, so I I did did fine. I uh, I got strep throat on Tuesday, so I went on antibiotics. And that really affected my race. I think yeah. I got like serious cramping, which I had read is like a common yeah. side effect of antibiotics.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, so like hamstring cramping. Oh, you'll, you'll love this. This was the best part. Uh, I was running with, I've never done this before. I ran with a guy, um, Hayden, if you listen to this podcast, um, for probably 30 of the 33 miles. Oh, wow. So he and I were third and fourth place. Most of the race. Mm-hmm. Um, And he'd like pull away and then I'd catch up and then I'd pull away and he'd catch up. We were just talking and hanging. Super cool guy. Um, And uh, probably at about, this was 33 mile race. So at about like mile 28 or something, we're talking and he goes, how old are you? (laughs) I go, oh, I'm 38. He goes,
0: oh God.
1: (laughs) (laughs) He goes, whoa, that's crazy. I thought you were my age. Like, I thought you were 28 tops. Man, that gives me so much hope. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Dude, way to be the person that gives all the young people hope.
1: <laughs> At that yeah. point, I was like, I'm crushing this guy. I don't want to take it <laughs> off. So it was right about then. I passed and uh, uh, passed for third and then the second place guy with maybe three miles left for second nice. and then hayden did too so he finished third it was awesome awesome yeah well, congrats
0: yeah. man that's impressive greg for those of you who are listening i don't know that he's ever done a race and not finished on the podium that's and no, he I started haven't. he started racing like just a year and a half or so ago and um i i i think that i think that's actually true as far as what races that i know you've done it seems like you're always on the podium
1: no I've, I've finished not on the podium um and it's easy when you pick less competitive races. Yeah, it's easy. Uh, well, it's easier. Um, I've got Speedgoat in July. and there's Okay, no you're chance. not finishing. Yeah, it. no chance. I'm <laughs> <putting it laughs> uh, like, not even, yeah. W- which will kind of be fun to just know, hey, there's no chance. Yeah. Just go out and run for fun. And probably, which means probably like, don't put yourself in the pain cave as much. Right. Um, and then Bear 100, my first 100 miler in September. And I think... Running that distance. I just feel like I can't even I don't even want to try to run fast. Like I don't want to be competitive That sounds too hard. I just want to try to finish
0: Yeah, it can can turn into a very very ugly day if you try to go out too fast So
1: the the top three almost always come in around 20 hours. Yeah. What did you do it in? Do you remember?
0: I think just over 24 20 maybe 25. Yeah so
1: yeah, there's a a part of me that's like, no man, I'm going to go for it and I'm going to try mm-hmm. to podium, and then there's a huge part of me that's like, you're going to be lucky just to get to the one to get to the
0: start. You point. know what? You'll know when you start, honestly, Probably. because like on this race, you knew that you weren't feeling well because of the antibiotics. It's like when I did the Wasatch, I felt so good for five miles that I got stung by seven wasps, <laughs> and, and that really. Yeah. Oh, I thought it was like at the end. No, no. It was at the very first climb. That's and it. And it just felt like my whole body was tight for the last 94 miles. Oh, gosh.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh and so it was
0: just survival at that point.
1: I told Steve not to ask you, or sorry, not to think during this race, like, because he's also doing Bear 100 with me. Yeah. And I was like, hey, during your 50 mile or afterwards, don't think about 100 because it's not like a good... It's not a good measure of what 100 is going to feel like to say just double fat, <laughs> I think you know where I'm going with this. That's so last night he comes over to hop in the sauna. He goes, I texted Aaron. He he asked how the race went. And I was like, I don't even know how I'm going to do 100. And he said, well, just do 50 twice.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't quite that simple. I just said, look, when you finish your first half marathon, you probably thought a marathon sounded impossible. <laughs> and he thought the same thing when he did a marathon. And yeah. I just... It, it, you know, no well, big deal. Basically, double any race, yeah,
1: any race you do, you're gonna um, you're gonna, kill yourself. You're like, not gonna feel like you can do double that. It doesn't. Ever. If I did a 10k, I'd be done yeah. after that and could never like do right. it again. Like you're right. gonna go as fast as you can. Um, well, okay, I haven't done a good intro. I'm, I'll probably do one before before our actual conversation, but. Um, yeah, so Aaron has again all these people I have on this podcast have so much experience in the backcountry, backcountry skiing, snowboarding. Aaron is one of the only ones like me who um, split boards about half the time and skis half the time. Um, so that's pretty fun. We get to go out and do that, uh, and then tons of trips. Aaron, what, you did what? What trips did you do this year? I know you did Ecuador. Was that the only like international
0: one or Switzerland too? Yeah. So we had Switzerland and France, but that was not on skis.
1: Oh, you didn't ski in Switzerland and France. Right. But this was during your like unemployment period.
0: No, no, this is before I was unemployed. And so I got a double, I got to double dip because I did that thinking that was like my big trip. And then I quit my job. And so I was able to go, go on more trips. Okay. Yeah. It was well-timed.
1: Okay. You did Ecuador. I swear you did something else during that. Just tons of skiing.
0: Yeah, I mean, I did a lot of skiing and some other small trips. And then, of course, some family. I did a bunch of family trips, too, that yeah. weren't quite as adventurous. So,
1: what? How, how do you do, like, Ecuador? I've been interested in that trip. It seems somewhat accessible. Like, oh, compared really? to, like, these okay. trips we've done in Alaska, okay. where, and I could be way wrong. Help me understand. I just know more people that have gone to Ecuador to do these volcanoes.
0: Okay. Yeah.
1: Whereas, like in Alaska, it seems like maybe there's more thinking about avalanches mm, and yeah. crevasses and mm. stuff like this. But what, like, what's skiing in Ecuador?
0: So it's a totally different set of challenges because, um, you, you know, I we we've never used a guide before, right? You right. and me, and and all the other trips I've ever done, all unguided. Um, you you start thinking about the logistics of Ecuador, and you're quickly kind of like, you know, what a guide would make a lot of sense because. It's not like you just drive up to the trailhead and start walking. There's like all these permitting processes to get these volcanoes and there's driving through all these tiny towns that have all these road closures. And there's just a lot of like little things like that, that you run into. And so we did end up hiring a guide, which was totally worth it. Which I've Uh, heard on some of those, you have to have a guide or like- It's not even that, like you try to research this and there, it's not a clear answer. And so you're at the mercy of whether you show up at this gate and the guy is like, that's at, that's at the gate, lets you in.
1: Yeah. I know some countries, I don't know if Ecuador is this way, <clears throat> but I know there's some mountains in Peru and Argentina that if you don't have a guide, they won't let you climb it. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like an economic protectionist thing, like to maintain yeah, I think there's, I think there's the job that.
0: security of the guides. And then there's just different rules about when they'll even let you in the park. And so um, because of the time you can go in the park, you need to stay in their hut. And if you're going to stay in the hut, it's going to be really tricky logistically to get all the permits without a guide. So having a guide was nice. Um, yeah. Okay. So so the that part of it in the cultural aspect is totally different. And that's, I think, what made, made Ecuador to me like such a fun trip is like this perfect combination of adventure and culture and, you know, going through these different cities and towns and meeting the people. and. Um,
1: so it sounds somewhat accessible though, if you're like, Hey, I have to hire a guide. Yeah. So like, you know, people who are, you know, into backcountry skiing, but wouldn't have the experience to like self guide an expedition into mm. like Alaska could yeah. say, I'm going to hire, I'm going to fly into Quito. No. Is it Quito? Yeah, it yeah. is. Yeah. Uh, hire a guide Yeah. and then go do like a volcano or two. Cause I, I know a couple people who are a little less experienced who did, um, Cotopaxi. Yeah. Do you think, I mean, that's probably what they did, right?
0: Yeah, I'm sure it is. I'm sure it is, um, and yeah, I mean it's. I'm sure a guide can probably pull anyone up. I don't know. It's tough. The the, the trick, the X factor in all the Ecuador volcanoes is that is that you, don't, you you start at elevations that you and I had probably never been to before. Yeah. Right? So you're starting at like fourteen, fifteen thousand feet. Yeah. And then you're going up from there, and you know you just don't know. You know, a lot of times you don't know how your body's going to do, it. and so. It doesn't surprise me that people have done that. That are like kind of, you know, not, not getting out a ton. Um, but you could also show up and just your body shuts down. Yeah, you, no, you have to. you could be, and, fit. And, you could be and, and you could be fit, and your body could still shut down because of yeah. elevation. Yeah, yeah.
1: You have to be fit. You have to acclimate. And then there's like probably genetic genetic variability there. Like, yeah, I don't know honestly how I react at elevation. because yeah. I've only been. Yeah. I think I've been to fifteen thousand feet once.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So. Our first volcano was with Tyler. It was just me and Tyler and a guide, and, um, and we didn't acclimate. We, we we went to like some local ceremony the, the day before, like you know at, at lower elevation, and then immediately went up to fifteen thousand feet. And we just took we we didn't you, know, you certainly don't push at that pace. You just kind of you yeah. kind of hope that you don't blow up and go slow. But um, but the the terrain though is way more. Gnarly than you'd expect. Like it's like Alaska level, more, more than Alaska in terms of glaciers and stuff.
1: Just not soft snow, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, we got lucky on our first day. We had, we had like two inches of soft snow at the top. Oh, really? Yeah. So we, yeah, it was nice.
1: But there's less concern of like avalanches and stuff.
0: I, I think so. It might change. I think it changes throughout the year though. Okay. Like but when we were there, yeah. And that's the other thing about Ecuador is it sounds like it is such a crapshoot as to what kind of conditions you're going to have. Um, we got so lucky. When we were there. Like there was one of the volcanoes we skied, uh, Kayambe. Our guide said that was the first time he'd ever skied from the top of that volcano. Yeah. And wow. We, and we happened to be there. So, yeah, just because of conditions trip. and, and, um, you know, where the snow bridges are and how, how they are, how they're looking and stuff. So,
1: so did you have a guide with Tyler? You said you went to a ceremony beforehand. What did the guide do during the ceremony?
0: Well, the guide was with us in the ceremony. Um, and she, so she does, she does kind of mountain guiding and, and all sorts of other things. And so she was with us in the ceremony, took another mountain guide with us. Oh, I remember this. Yeah.
1: I can yeah. cut all of this out. <laughs> Do you want to talk about the ceremony? Sure. So tell. T- I know a little bit about this. This ceremony sounded pretty amazing. Yeah. Uh, pretty unique.
0: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that was the reason we went down actually is, is, uh, it, at least on the timing was because of the timing of the ceremony. Um, It was just this, it was uh, kind of a a very authentic local sort of, uh, I I guess I'd describe it as maybe a shamanic ceremony. Um, uh, And it was in what they call a Temescal, which was like this tiny little sweat lodge that was built out of like sticks and blankets. And uh, yeah, they throw you in the sweat lodge, they throw in a bunch of like burning rocks, and it just is completely overwhelming with heat and darkness and... It's pretty. It's actually a pretty intimidating and scary experience. But, um, I mean, long story short, it it was an amazing and a beautiful experience. Like a totally connecting, you know, earth connecting, people connecting. Well, it, yeah, it was. It was. It was amazing.
1: Uh, and claustrophobia.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, because oh.
1: you, the way I understand te is like it's a mound of dirt that they kind of hollow out. Yeah, and you crawl in essentially
0: yeah so, so it's a very tight space you your shoulder to shoulder with everybody that's there um it's all either in spanish or in in quechua and so it's a bit it feels pretty foreign even though i happen to speak spanish which is kind of a nice benefit there um but yeah when when they when they close that door and granted the other part about this whole experience is that they do give you this this local medicine um that comes from a cactus and you don't. I had no idea how that medicine was going to affect me, and um, and so um, when they closed that door and the waves of heat hit me, like I was in full panic mode. Full panic mode. I was like, "There's no way I can handle this." Uh, I didn't know like how long we were going to be there, how hot it was going to, you know, how much hotter it was going to get, whether I was going to need to piss my pants because I wasn't going to be able to get out of there. You know, I had no clue. And you don't um, know what the
1: customs are. Like you don't know what. Oh okay. like- Oh, in these types of ceremonies, they're going to break every forty-five minutes. Or oh, five. yeah,
0: you have no idea. Yeah, exactly. And so you're just kind of sitting there with complete unknown. Um, but you know, dealing with those unknown, scary situations, I think, is a really positive thing. Yeah, it's it's um, that yeah it changed my life. Honestly, it sounds maybe a little bit, bit of hyperbole to say that, but I think it did. Yeah. So
1: well, like I said, we can cut all of this out. But uh, so. San Pedro is a psychedelic, right? Mm-hmm. From a cactus. Mm-hmm. So you're on a psychedelic, you're in this, like, I, I think if we do leave this in, people <laughs> aren't going to understand, like, what do you mean it changed your life? It's like, oh, dude, you just did a sauna yeah. in like a foreign country that's a little tighter. Like, yeah. w- what's
0: life changing about that? Yeah. Um, so first of all, this is all legal in, in, in Ecuador. Right. Um, so whether or not we, you know, we feel like we need to cut it out, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So, uh, you know, I I think that even, even before the effects of this San Pedro medicine hit me, um, you know, dealing, you you know, being able to arrive to a a place where I could be so tied into the, the, the only way I could deal with this panic was to forget about all the anxieties of what might happen and focus on that present moment. And you you hear about that a lot in terms of focusing on the present. And that's, and, and it's that lack of focus on the present that causes anxiety. But until I was in that type of a situation, it never really, it never really sunk in like it did, like it did then. Um, but then of course when the medicine does hit, you know, it just, um, it just is such a heart opening experience. To everybody that was in the time Scala with me, that were all strangers, all from all over all over the world, um, you know, nothing in common other than humanity, and you tie into that. Um,
1: and in, most in a, in a of these people different... were Ecuadorian.
0: Yeah, I would say that two thirds were Ecuadorian, and two a third of us were either. I think that Tyler and I were the only ones from the states, and then uh, there were some people from uh, from Eastern Europe too. Oh. Yeah,
1: it's interesting what you said. So uh, I had a therapist tell me once. Uh, And I don't know if this is always true, but it's kind of helped me understand the difference, which is anxiety is a a fear of pain in the future and depression is a fear of pain in the past. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's exactly accurate, but that works for me to frame it. Yeah. And I know I suffer from anxiety, which is like, you know, what's going to happen? Right. Where will I be enough or do enough or whatever, but it's always future based. Right. Uh, that's
0: I think I'm the, I'm, the, I'm the same. Yeah. I'm more I'm more prone to, to that. Yeah. And and it, it, yeah, so and, and it was just like that on like what like a thousand times magnification in that Tim Yeah. Wow.
1: Amazing. Uh well, I'm sure we could do a whole episode on that. I know we you and I have talked about this a bit and it sounded like an awesome experience. So then you go do you said Kayambe was the next day? So I, the next day, like you, you stayed through the night on this thing, right? Yeah. yeah it was
0: all night. We, we went in in the light and we came out the, the next morning. Wow.
1: So, in yeah. a little temascal, which is like a little mound of dirt. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Come out the next morning and then you cruise
0: up to Cayambe. That's right. Yeah. Um, so um. I'm, why am I forgetting the names of the three volcanoes? We did Cayambe. we did Cotopaxi. Or no, no, we didn't do Cotopaxi. Cotopaxi was erupting. Chimborazo, and um, I'm sorry, I'm just like forgetting. You just do name. so
1: many mountains, you don't even.
0: Like, I, I, yeah, it'll come to me later. No big deal. But um, you know, the first one we did was 19,000 feet or so, and it was the best ski line. It was uninterrupted turns for like 5,000. Just feet. you and Tyler. But yeah, with with the guides. who we weren't and on the skis, guides. which was yeah, kind yeah. of interesting. So we were on skis.
1: For anyone listening, some of these, I know uh, you did the next two mm-hmm. with Danny right. Bryson. Yep. So if you guys want to check that out, it's Mediocre Amateurs. They have a YouTube channel, uh, make awesome videos. And I think I saw at least one of them, which was your trip on, I can't remember which one, Chimborazo or Chimborazo.
0: something. Yeah, it looked amazing. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Um, yeah, they're, they're, they're all amazing. And, um, you know, they all, they all have different... They're all completely different. Like one was the best ski line. The other one was just the auntie sauna is the, the second yeah. one uh, auntie sauna had just the most amazing glaciated terrain I've ever seen. Like even including Alaska and you're sitting on the equator and you're like, how yeah. is this I had no, I had no concept that they had that type of terrain on the equator. And then Chimborazo, honestly, it's worth doing because it's the tallest one, but it is just hard and steep and not that fun, yeah, yeah. How, how It is high, not scenic either. How high is it? I think Chimborazo is twenty thousand six hundred. Huh? How'd you do it? Twenty thousand feet. Um, it was it was rough for sure. Like, um, you start to lose your mind a little bit. Yeah. Uh, Christoph was with us. <laughs> oh my gosh, dude, he could not string together a sentence. Really? Yeah. And uh, honestly, Christoph, like. I did not think he was going to make it for a while. Like I thought he was going to have to stop, but he's that dude, that dude could push through some pain.
1: So I, I skied for, you know, anyone who doesn't know, Christoph, local guy here also on this mediocre amateur channel quite a bit, but he broke his femur or hip. I think it was is his it, femoral it, head yeah, where it goes into the uh, Something like that. acetabulum. I know this it's cause true. I have a wow. problem, but, uh, yeah, he broke it last year. And so, or maybe it was a, whatever it was like last a year before this trip. It. Yeah. Maybe yeah. even less than a year before this trip.
0: It was less than a year.
1: Wow. Yeah. And then came out and did
0: this. That was his big that was his first big thing for sure. Yeah. yeah. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah.
1: Man. Uh yeah. So in previous episodes, not only did Scott talk trash on you, but he told the story of when you triggered an avalanche <laughs> that buried him. Yeah. What do you remember about this? There were a lot of things we learned. Um I don't want like I'm I'm Hesitant to always talk about avalanches because it sounds like we're, like, glorifying it. Like, oh, how cool you had this experience. Yeah, There is kind of, like, there is, like, something cool about avalanches. Uh-huh. Like, just any sort of almost natural disaster. But, you know, obviously, what we really want to do is, like, learn from it. And I think you actually wrote up a post. Um, not a post, but, like, you told UAC yeah. about it that night. And what I thought was really cool was included a whole bunch of learnings, including, like, psychological learnings and like the biases we fell into that created this avalanche and put us in this danger and shared it with everyone, you know, that follows UAC or in Utah. I thought that was a cool, I don't think people do that enough.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think that we're all prone to want to hide like mistakes. Right. Yeah. Um, and, um, uh, and, you know, just thinking even before that, I, I think about like all of the free lessons I've had in the back country, um, because you don't even know a lot. It's the scary thing about backcountry skiing is that, is that a lot of times you're, you're doing it and you don't even realize the danger you're in until you look back on it later. And so, what are some free lessons? Um, well, just like things like um, you know, skiing Scotties, coming over a ro- rollover, ca- carving to the right on my snowboard and watching the whole slope slide out. Scotties. Yeah. Really. Yeah. And uh, and you know, just thinking, you, you, you know, I should I should have known, but. It's like, okay, that's, I'll, 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 put that in my knowledge base for later. Yeah. Cause I never got, you know, it was free. Like I, I didn't get caught. There's no, there's no, you know, no, 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 no real danger to me, actually.
1: You know, yeah. I had one, I think about three lessons or free lessons. I was out with Andres, my friend Andres, and we were touring, it was like a black day. So like about, it, I mean, as dangerous as it gets. Yeah. And on black days, it's like, well, we just won't... It might have been red. I don't know. But it was a very dangerous day. And my rule there is like, we do not go into avalanche terrain. Right. Right? Yeah. So, keep it below 30 degrees, often treat, etc. Yeah. And we went up Cardiff Fork. So, there's like a, you know, a mining road that goes up it. In the winter, it's like, a usually you would consider fairly safe ski tour up and non-avalanche terrain. But what I wasn't thinking about enough was hang fire from above, mm. right? Because there's some steep slopes that en- empty and sometimes cross that road sure. into Cardiff. Yeah. Um, and we said, well, we're going to do like the bottom half of George's so we can avoid some of the yeah. upper hang fire. Right. And this was like, I mean, I've never seen it so touchy. Like, Yeah, that's sketchy. If you stepped out onto anything that wasn't a skin track, you would step and an avalanche would pop hundreds of feet from you just sympathetically. Yeah, And so we started going across and we were for sure always on under 30 degree slope. But getting into George's, I took a step and something maybe 300 feet above me, maybe (laughs) 500 feet beyond me popped and slid. And it wasn't huge, but it totally like, because it just wasn't that steep and not enough energy, but it totally covered what would have been our skin track with like five, six feet of snow. Yeah. And I was like, dude,
0: so stupid. Yeah. So dumb. Yeah. Anyway yeah you you learn learn l- l- all those things so yeah kind of wish I would have read that write- up that I ma- that I did um and, but uh, you know for the for the avalanche where I, I buried Scott but you know, I think he kind of covered most of it but uh I think that I, you know I re- I definitely remember feeling like okay you know we've been out here all day um we haven't really seen anything that was sketchy enough to make me super concerned um and we definitely had that sort of horse to the barn feeling which was obviously a you know one of the biggest mistakes you can put yourself in horse into. in the barn horse to the barn meaning oh heading know, back to the car. We're no we we know we're close and so let's just finish this last couple hundred feet of climbing and then we'll be we'll be done for the day um but uh and yeah yeah, you and I were kind of charging off the front just trying to try to try to break the trail and uh and yeah, I don't, you know, just did not take that time to, to to kind of notice my surroundings and see exactly where the part where the rest of the people were. Because honestly, even when I felt it getting punchy, I thought to myself, well, it's not big, enough. there's no way it's going to be big enough to to cause any any type of a concern, even if it did break out at my skis or whatever. But it was really just, you know, I look back at that thinking it was both the unluckiest set of circumstances and the luckiest set of circumstances because. Um, it was was such a small slide. It didn't carry any of us, but it just happened to hit him so perfectly. It carried you? Do you not remember this? For like five feet. Is that it? Yeah. Five or 10 feet tops. Memory is tricky because I remember you
1: sliding and me yelling, like grab those rocks and you did and it slid out underneath you. But I thought you slid maybe,
0: I don't know, 20 feet, but you were sliding. Yeah. I was Memory is so tricky. Yeah. I did not slide that far for sure. Okay. Um, I never felt like I was actually out of control even, Mm -hmm. um, Um, but, uh, do you
1: remember me yelling like grab the rocks or anything?
0: Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I never, I never thought I needed to pull my airbag or anything like that.
1: Right. Well, I remember that's the thing is I remember kind of thinking like chase was joking when he told Scott to pull his airbag.
0: Right. Yeah.
1: Cause it didn't seem that big, but that's kind of like my, that free lesson I was talking about in Cardiff where a slide came by in front of us and I was like, Oh, that's kind of cool. But then when it stopped, I was like, oh, that's like, you know, five, six feet deep, like a totally buried person. Right. Sometimes avalanches don't look or feel that
0: scary in real yeah. life. And that's why I say, was, you know, the unlucky part was that all it did was wash over Scott. Yeah. I mean, it might it have carried him for, again, 10 feet or so. Yeah. Just by Just by, just by the push. But, um, it's not like there was so much that he was going to get, ca- you know, ca- carried. Um, yeah.
1: It literally just buried him. That's like all it did. It didn't carry. It just him. Like, yeah. Poof, yeah. Landed yeah. on top of him.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, but certainly since then, I've been in so many situations where I relive that every, you know, every time I'm like, okay, should I get on this little sub bridge? Which is, which at the time was my thought process. I'm like, do I, am I going to stay in this gut where you could have a bigger slide? Or am I going to go on go on to the subridge? I think that at the time, especially, I always I had a little, probably too strong of a bias for like always find the ridge, always find the ridge, because um, that's where you're safest. Mm-hmm. And it was me trying to get to that ridge that is where the cross loading happened, and that's where we stepped. I stepped out and popped that slide out. Um,
1: cross loading, so basically, the wind will pick up snow. Say it's moving across the face of a mountain. Mm-hmm. And when there's little goalies or things like that, it'll deposit fresh snow in those goalies, et cetera.
0: Yeah. I think in this case, it was more I mean, like... Wind blowing, like it, creating a wake There's like a small sub bridge. It would take the snow from one side of the sub bridge, push it up and over, and then deposit it where we were. Yeah. Um, and so... Um, but yeah, so many times now, I'll be in a similar situation. And I think it almost annoys my partners because I'm so cognizant of it now. Yeah. Um, or I'm like, I don't know about this, guys. And they're like, come on. Like it's a safe, you know, and uh.
1: well, there were twice this year that you and I bailed from objectives. I mean, probably way more than that, but two in particular because of wind slabs. And, um, it's hard because in hindsight, one of them was like, Oh, we definitely made the right decision. And the other one was like, I mean, you always make the right decision when you back out that that's kind of my take. But the other one was like, a closer call so one we were going up to tour box elder uh you me and brad yeah um and we got up by like shotgun shoots and there was uh some wind deposits they weren't very reactive but we were going to do kind of a big face with lots of rocks and you know like not a place you want to fall and we bailed right Mm -hmm. And other people triggered, like, big wind slabs, I think, that day or the next day. Yeah. I want to say someone on Box Elder or really nearby definitely made the right call there. But I think I went back and forth on that decision for sure. Because I'm like, not, not only, like, all the biases of, like, oh, we're already here and, like, we've done the work. But, like, I always wonder if I'm being over-cautious. Um, do you ever feel that? Or am I, like, I wonder, like, oh it's probably me not being as confident in my like snow science, um, and even just avalanche science. Cause I'm like, I think that maybe I should be cautious here, but maybe I'm just overreacting. And someone who knows more than me would be like, Oh no, this is totally fine.
0: I swear that the older I get, the less I worry about being overcautious. <laughs> no, that's really smart. I, and I need to do that. Um, and, uh, and of course, you know, like you, you pick up knowledge along the way, but yeah you know, you know, I think about these free lessons that we had back then, right when I was starting out skiing and based on a lack of knowledge and I think it's pretty cocky of me to say that now, because I've had this experience, I know like um you know exactly what's gonna slide and what's not like um you know i' am sure I'm sure that if I were pushing the envelope, I'd still get a lot more of those hopefully free lessons that's like why you know like why 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 push why push that boundary all the time. Um, but, um, uh, um, yeah, so uh, yeah, go
1: ahead. Well, on that one, we bailed and we're totally right. The other one, we were traversing like the whole Wasatch. Yeah. Um, and we were heading from Northeast of Lone Peak to Pit. We had like this one, all the inertia was in our favor. Cause we had like planned it out, done like aid stations, essentially, you know, dropped bags of food and little cottonwood and big cottonwood, um, And
0: and we'd already skied pretty much the gnarliest line in the Wasatch.
1: Yeah, we had kind of bad (laughs) conditions and I skied it, which is like, for me, a thing because I'm not the greatest skier. I'm a much better snowboarder. Um, So we're going over there. And by the way, that the the gut between like the canyon. um, Bells, right? Yeah, bells, but it's upper bells, like kind of off of thunder, et cetera. That area is always whipping with wind. I've noticed now, like when I drive by, it might be still everywhere else. And that place is just crazy with wind. But we were crossing into Colpit. We were almost there. We had done all the work and we decided to build because of wind slabs. And it was actually like kind of awesome because you were like, watch this. And we were in safe spots, but you'd be like, I'm going to step on this. And you'd step on it and it would bust and a wind slab would go rolling. Yeah. and again we made the right decision but other people skied culpit that day lots of other people you think i know i saw i followed it yeah i saw on like strava and um i think even instagram a few other people that did culpit that day
0: Uh, okay because i knew people were skiing like anyway whatever but i still i still completely stand by that decision yeah because um you know what we saw um, in terms of what was, what, what was popping out. And, and that kind of goes back to the whole thing with Scott. Like, I, I swear if that, that, if that had not happened with Scott, like I wouldn't, I wouldn't have been like stepping on those things being like, watch this, this is, you know, um, because it just, I feel like it's tuned me into it so much more, um, bearing yeah. a friend and almost, you know, it, it'll do that.
1: You'll think about that a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, so. I agree. I stand by decision because like primarily, I mean, if I were to say, if we wrote Culpit, would we be fine? Like in hindsight almost certainly yes because other people wrote it that day um, but should we have definitely not right it's yeah. almost like um you know someone takes a stupid half-court shot and it goes in so they think it was the wise shot right and it like that would have been us doing culpit that day. Like we would have taken the dumb shot. that's a low percentage shot. It's a dumb shot. And because we would have made it, we would now justify our actions. I mean, that's one of the problems with back skiing is-
0: What's the problem with us being like the LeBron James of back skiing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I'm mean, not to belabor that point, but the thing is, is we hadn't made it to the top yet. And I think when we turned around, we were still feeling punchiness.
1: Oh, it's true, and And we rode um, that west face of North Thunder and triggered a couple little slabs there too. Yeah, like it was safe terrain, but we triggered little things. It was scary.
0: Yeah, yeah. We ended up having a great day. Yeah, yeah, we did. Yeah, biggest Uh, day of the year for me. Yeah, maybe in my life in terms of elevation and uh, elevation gain in one ski tour.
1: I think so. I think so for me too, for sure. Yeah, Um, we ended up going from essentially, if anyone knows, but Utah County. So we started in Alpine, Utah. We did Lone Peak. Then we went up basically to Colpit, but did Colpit
0: 4. Well, you skipped over Northeast Coulard of Lone Peak. That's a badass line. Oh,
1: yeah. Northeast Lone. Yeah, Yeah. Coulard of Lone Peak. That was awesome. Uh, We did Colpit 2, I want to say. And then um, Superior, um, uh, East Fork into Mineral, uh, went up Gobblers. Yeah, it was a great day. That was one of those definitely where at the end of the day, you know it's a good adventure when you just stop talking. And you just want to get to the car. I think the last hour there, it was the craziest wind oh, I had yeah. almost ever felt. Yeah, yeah. We were somebody in gobblers. It was bad snow coming down and it was getting dark. We just stopped <laughs> talking like at least the last... Hour, which for me to stop talking is pretty freaking right. Yeah.
0: yeah, for some reason, uh, you know, when you're, when you're talking about, you know, it's a good day. And so I also remember um quoting no hard feelings to you oh yeah <laughs> the, song, the whole the whole song the whole song and you, so you know you're pretty raw when you're like quoting like these <laughs> soul-moving songs to your friends <laughs> yeah
1: let's talk about death for an hour here <laughs> uh, well uh yeah Aaron, i want to have you on the podcast a bunch because we have a ton of fun stories to tell. but i uh some people asked me to go through a few things with you well a few th- things in general on this podcast so if anyone's interested there is a email account for this, podcast at gmail.com. If you have questions or things you want us to cover, send them in. Uh, maybe we'll get through it. But uh, some of these are kind of fun. Someone said, do a start, stop, continue with backcountry skiing. Do you know what that is? No. So we do this at my work for like kind of performance reviews or like kind of interview questions. But it's what should we start doing, what should we stop doing, and what should we continue doing uh, with backcountry skiing? So let's start with, what should we start doing? I'll go while you're thinking. Go ahead. I just barely, like, I I didn't pregame this or think through it, but this is hard. I'd say, what should we start doing? Um, This is hard because I never do it, and I hate that we might have to start doing it, and I don't think we should always do it. But as a snowboarder, I never follow tracks and, like, spoon them, like, to harvest a mountain. But a lot of our backcountry areas are getting so crowded yeah. Like my thing is usually, oh, I'm just going to blast down this hill and do whatever kind of like free ride turns I want and do whatever. I think on some of these open bowls, we need to start harvesting, like following the tracks and making it narrow so we leave more for other people. Yeah. I hate that that's true, yeah. but I think in at least here's the deal. I want everyone else to start doing this. <laughs> Let me do what I want. Let's have everyone else start doing it. That
0: is the that is the ultimate theme in backcountry skiing. Is like <laughs> what I do is the right way to do it. Yeah, like everyone else is getting in my way. And yeah, totally. Yeah. Okay. Um, what do you uh, think? Oh, mine's mine uh, is is way too responsible. We should start doing more beacon searches.
1: Oh. Cause... We never do. So beacon searches is like beacon practice, you're saying. Yeah. yeah. This is something I need. I mean, I don't think I did this all year.
0: Oh, I think it's been multiple years for me.
1: Oh, I usually do it at least once a year. Yeah. And like, it's usually one of those days where something's gone wrong and I'm hanging out in the parking lot. And so a friend and I start playing around. Right. Um, that's a good point. All right. What should we stop doing in backcountry skiing? This is like top of mind. So easy for me. Okay, go ahead. We should stop posting our maps and our GPS locations on Strava. I'm already already there. Yeah, you're there. But I'm not, again, I'm not saying we, (laughs) I'm saying everybody else should stop doing this. There is nothing worse than um, someone goes to one of your spots, especially if they have a lot of followers and they say how good it was and then post their map. Yeah. A little bit less important, maybe in like the cottonwoods in the Wasatch, I still get annoyed. Because even I've heard people say this, well, look, if I'm off the beaten path and I'm like, you know, in some place that people don't go and I don't want to reveal my gem, fine, I won't post it. But if I'm in the cottonwoods and everyone knows, my response is still people might not know the conditions in those areas, if it's rideable, um, if there's enough snow that a certain line's in, Um so, I've totally done this where I'll watch other people on Strava and learn, oh, looks like that line might be in. I won't take it as like gospel, like, oh, it's safe.
0: Yeah. But it definitely gives me some yeah. info. Yeah. So, I took two friends to Utah County that would never been down there to ski and I literally made them take a, a blood oath. <laughs> yeah.
1: Literally blood oath? You well, cut their hand.
0: That they that they that they agreed that their blood would be spilled if they if they posted <laughs> if they posted this the line on Strava. Uh, oh, it's so bad. It's so bad. But you know, it's it all it's all in fun, but also like totally like I get you. Like it's, um, but the thing is, the thing is, it, it's you know, to my point about you know to my earlier point about you know what we do is right and you know everyone else is getting in the way kind of a thing. It's it's a bit. Um, conflicting for me because i go on these adventures with danny danny i love you man so he posts these he posts the videos on youtube and like there's tens of thousands of viewers yeah and so you know we don't typically go or play you know places that are going to blow up but at the same time that's how they blow up right
1: yeah i would say that's so, not totally true i did the high route in the wind rivers after yeah. you guys did yeah um and this is when danny's mediocre amateur channel had like much, I mean, far fewer followers. Right. And still I met people on that route who were doing it because of mediocre amateurs on the, on that no very week. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. A few people mentioned that they had learned about it from mediocre amateurs. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That that's definitely been a bit of a, well, a lot, a lot of weird changes from that channel for me, but yeah. Anyway.
1: So would that be yeah. your stop or do you have another stop? I um, want, I want something unique, something Aaron flavored. You know, one thing I'm going to mention while you're th- thinking about, it, I can't stop talking. This is my, I i need to stop talking. That's what I need to do. Um, fishermen have known this for a really long time. Like it, there's almost something with like when a new technology is introduced, cultures take a while to adapt to it, right? It moves faster and the culture hasn't co-evolved with the technology. So you think about this with like garbage, like plastics or something. Like at first when plastics came out, everyone's just throwing their plastic garbage as they would like a banana peel or like, you know, an apple core. And now we're like, oh, you can't litter because plastics don't go away. Like we've kind of learned how to interact. We're not great at it still, but with that technology. I feel like Strava is that for backcountry skiing right now. And people are coming around to it. But if you're listening, please stop posting your maps on Strava. Um, Fishermen have been way ahead of this game. Anytime there's a limited resources, we should know this. So like fishermen are like, they will never tell you what spot they were at. Often their photos of their fish will like, Deliberately obscure the background so people couldn't work backwards and know where they caught that fish, where they were. Um, I think we need a little bit more of that in backcountry skiing, mm-hmm. which is very selfish because I'm like, I don't want other people to go to my spots. Yeah, that's some a whole other topic that I gotta work through. But
0: yeah, okay. My stop I think is stop with the hard feelings of group dynamics. Mm. Like it's it's uh, it, it, it it's a sucky part of backcountry skiing. Um, but there should just be an understanding that not everybody can go on every tour. Right. Yeah. Like, um, and it, yeah. yeah. And it, so, so yeah, just chill out on the group dynamics and some, you know, that, that, I think that's what, that's my stuff.
1: So this is interesting because I get this, you get this, like, you know, you and I are kind of like main touring partners. So we kind of are always invited on each other's tours. Right. But if I text you and you're already going with a group, Again, yeah, no hard feelings. Like I, I 100% get it um, because you just can't bring everybody on every tour. Like right. there's just – you can't bring seven people. Like it's just not safe and it creates all sorts of problems. Um, but a flip side, so we've mentioned mediocre amateurs. I think it's interesting. I think we're really fortunate. We have a lot of friends at Backcountry Ski. Right. Um, I've seen some of the comments on mediocre amateurs. You might know where I'm going with this, but it's interesting how frequently the comments are. Oh, man, I just wish I had a group of friends I could go do this type of stuff with. Right. So, the flip side of like no hard feelings, do you have any like thoughts on people who are starting to backcountry ski or snowboard? Like, how how do they get out? How do they create a crew to go with?
0: Right. Yeah, you're you're right that backcountry skiing has been the biggest gift for me in terms of finding close friends.
1: Well, that's how you and I got to be friends. Yeah.
0: Um, but it can quickly go from that to me. Like I have nobody to tour with. What the hell? Yeah. Um, y- you know, even, even having a good group of people. Um, yeah.
1: For you. Cause it'll be like Tuesday at 1 PM and you're going to go, <laughs> 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 but yeah, go ahead.
0: <clears throat> but yeah, in terms of finding your crew, um, you know, I, obviously living in a place like Salt Lake, has got to make that easier because there's so many people that are keen to get out. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think a lot of these people that make these comments, they live in like Nebraska. Yeah. And they're like, hey, I want to go climb the wind rivers. That might be true. Yeah. Um, And and yeah, how do you, Yeah, unfortunately, I I have no guidance for that because I don't know how you would find people in in Nebraska, you know, if you're in Nebraska, other than um, message boards or something. I'm sure
1: there's message boards and online groups, but I don't think, the truth is, I don't think that's the problem. I think the problem is, and I think you're just good at this, so you don't have to think about it you've just got to be outgoing and put yourself out there. And I think a lot of people are like, I would love to have even here in Salt Lake, like I would love to have a group to go out with. It's like, totally. So just go, you know, you know, someone at work who goes literally invite yourself, just say like, Hey, I'd love to go out with you. Right. And, and don't be worried. I think a lot of people are very worried about, I don't fully know what I'm doing. So I don't want to go with people who do. Right. But that's how we all start.
0: Right. Yeah, for sure. Because, Certainly the people who introduced me to backcountry skiing, well, that was the situation. That was yeah, exactly the situation. Me too. And I honestly don't almost ever ski with these people anymore. Yeah. Um, and you know, they're they're all awesome. I still love all of those guys. Rick, Doug, you know, Mark, all those guys that I used to ski with. Um, they're all they're all awesome people, but I never ski with them anymore. and you eventually find your your crew. Yeah. That that the thing is is the people you ski with the most, it's, it's such an interesting um, Venn diagram of like everything coming together in terms of your fitness, your risk tolerance, your personalities, your schedules, um, your, um, your objectives, they all kind of end up aligning. And yeah, you just keep going out, going out. And eventually you find that alignment, like the stars. All, I don't know. It, yeah. sounds, it sounds silly. The stars align, like the, the, the commonalities come together.
1: Yeah. And I would say for main touring partners, that's true. This goes, takes me to the continue. One thing I would say we need to continue doing is so most tours like you and I are going to go like, that's kind of how it works. It's like, we know about each other's fitness. We know the times, right. We have, um, like we don't have to do a lot of planning. It's just like meet at 6am here. And we go, we both know we need to be done by nine Cause we've got work and, we we kind of know the deal. It's super right. easy. Yeah. But we need to carve out a little bit of time. And I say we continue doing this. And I people did this for me yeah. and um frequently and I need to continue doing this for others, which is the like every once in a while, like definitely make time for people who are on a different um who have a different approach than mm-hmm. you are like maybe either they're learning or they want to go out a little bit longer, or a little bit slower, do something different.
0: Yeah. Um continue making time for those folks. Yeah, yeah, totally. I, th- I think I do that at least to some extent. But of course, you know, we're, we're all we're all time we're all time bound and full time workers and stuff yeah. like that. So we do what we can. But yeah, I just actually ran into a friend of mine, Sean, um, who I introduced to backcountry skiing a number of years ago. Mm-hmm. And yeah, he's still going out. He's still slaying it. Yeah. with his new crew. And so see, I love that and I yeah. hate that because I'm like, yeah, oh,
1: right. Where is he slaying it? He better not be in our area. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah our areas i'm taking that back it's not our area but (laughs) you know what i mean this is like this is the most terrible thing Not our areas but you do
0: have to take a blood oath if i take you there
1: (laughs) all right um we might have to cut this into a couple episodes but uh let's do just a few more minutes one is um let's talk about the perfect skin track angle Hmm. you might not know this you and i have had one we had arguments about this once Not argument, but like we had a disagreement. You were going really steep. We were going up bonkers to go do stairs. And I was like, dude, that is the steepest skin track. I think you've come around to where I am, or maybe I was misjudging what you were doing. But there was a tour this year. You and I were with somebody. (laughs) (laughs) You know exactly what I'm talking about. And this guy was putting in the steepest skin track that we were sliding everywhere. And so we both tried to like delicately and uh, appropriately Say, like, hey, man, let let us break for a minute <laughs> because it was impossible.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, but someone asked me about this. Like, how how steep, if you're putting in a skin track, like, how steep do you do it?
0: Yeah. So, how do you measure that? Because I've never, like, pulled out my...
1: No, I think yeah. there's, like, schemo folks who, like, yeah. have a number. Right. I
0: don't know this. But yeah. what do you think about? Um, I think about, am I, like, am I... St- you, you know, re- really, what's what's the comfortable step? Like, am I stepping like am i consciously stepping up in the you know in the snow yeah um am i consciously tr- trying to move into the into the uh the slope or am i um really just yeah you know, working inside yeah you know, i you know you, you i love like watching my skin tracks and they just sort of like meander in and out of all these different features in the terrain trying to maintain that What i feel like is, is, a, is a good is a good uh, skin track angle um but uh um yeah, I think that that's. But I also get super annoyed when I'm following a skin track, and they're not gaining elevation when they could be gaining elevation. It's just like flat for no reason, and, and and I'll get all like curmudgeonly and break my own skin track.
1: See, I almost never get annoyed at that. My thing is, we'd probably all be better off if we went flatter. Like in general, I think it's more efficient. I think you end up gaining as much. I don't mean totally flat. That probably happens. I just never really get annoyed with it. The things I'm looking for are like, am I starting to slide backwards? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Am I like really having to use my poles to like keep myself from sliding? Obviously, if you're doing that, it's way too steep. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you have to because it's like this feature means I have to go straight up this right here because a tree or whatever. But I kind of think like low angle.
0: Like, yeah, that's kind of just generally what I think. Yeah, and I think that modern gear kind of lends itself to that, right? Because you don't have the big high heel risers anymore. Yeah. Um I almost
1: never use, in fact, this year you were teasing me, like on my snowboard, my split board. Yeah. I rode almost all year without any heel risers even on the board. Mm. Just because you don't need them if you boots articulate really well. Right. I did end up putting them on because it does help sometimes. Yeah. But okay. All right. Uh one more. This is a, this is an Aaronism, but, uh, oh <laughs> no, let's, let's be gender neutral here. And what's a gentle person start. We say a gentleman's start. Okay. Cause this is, this is something funny. Like when you were talking about going people with people we don't go with, this is something I'm like, I wish everyone knew what this is and how to start. It kind of goes to layering, right? we we'll talk about this on another podcast, but like, um, I think a lot of people who will listen to this podcast are dawn patrol like early morning gotta get to work gotta do whatever what's a gentleman's start in terms of time? Like the, no the no day? we always say this are, we get out of the car and I say are we doing a gentleman's start oh or no?
0: okay yeah yeah, yeah cause I, th- I, can, I think that gentleman's start can also be a later start yeah 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 but um, but yeah Um, I think I think that the gentleman's start is you say that you're gonna go at a mellow pace then Greg goes to the front and pins <laughs> it and, <laughs> and, and, um, and I'm like, dude, I'm not going to, I can't, that, that, that's basically, that's basically our, our, gen- that seems, that seems to be our general. This start. is funny. This is not this... what I think
1: about at all. Maybe <laughs> we've been talking past each other. Every time we say gentlemen, start, it's starting with a puffy versus just your base. layer. Yeah,
0: it is. It is <laughs> It's, it's start, starting with a ni- nice, comfy la- comfy layering system and then stopping and shedding.
1: Yeah, exactly. But, yeah. Which in general, I'm kind of leaning towards like those are winter days. I just always start with a puffy
0: yeah.
1: ease into it. Yeah. I know I'm going to have to shed it 10 minutes in and that's right. fine.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Getting old, man. I'm getting old. Getting old. <laughs> I, don't, I don't have the ability to do. That's well, what we do though, right? Like, you know, we, well, you're still fast, but I think for me, like, that's how I justify like going slower. So I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm more into just enjoying it now. But really, I'm just old and slow. <laughs> <laughs> that's
1: not true. And that's definitely me. I definitely want to start out slow. I hate it. Honestly, sometimes with Chase, I hate starting. And it's just like, oh my gosh, dude. I, I don't want to go like anaerobic two minutes out of the car. Like, slow down. Yeah. Anyway, uh, well, Garon, thanks so much for joining the Skin Track podcast today.
0: Hopefully, we covered something good. Because I'm thinking about that podcast. I can't think of anything that we actually covered that was like...
1: worth listening to. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, no, no, my pleasure. It's what i learned about the internet, is you here. just need
1: to put out content. It doesn't need to be good content. Just put out some content. Content is king. That's right. Yep. This is all just an elaborate ruse so I can start writing off my uh, backcountry ski stuff.
0: Okay. I'm going to start funneling all my back, backcountry ski purchases through you.
1: <laughs> there you go. I'll buy them for you. Okay. I hope the IRS is not listening. I'm still
0: waiting for my check from Danny.
1: <laughs> nice. <laughs> all right. Thanks, Yaron. You too.